Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast Network. We are a young adults group at Valley View Bible Church in Paradise Valley, Arizona. We meet Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Find us on Instagram at viewpoint underscore VVVC for more info on how to get connected. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you. We gotta get used to that. Bring some like old Baptist church vibes up in here. Good evening. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, well, it's good to be here with you and continue our series in uh, in James. We're gonna be in James chapter three um, in a second here, and uh, we'll get right into it. Um, I'm gonna pray just to bless. Uh, our evening together and um, as we open God's word just so he can speak to us and uh, just give us clarity through this passage. So Heavenly Father God, thank you uh, just for this night that we can come uh, before you in worship and we can come we can come before your your word God and I just pray that uh, we can learn from tonight's passage in James God. I just pray that um, we come with humble hearts and willing to receive um, this passage today God. Um, I know it's, it's it can be uh, maybe challenging for some people in this room. I know it's challenging for me in just reading it. So um, I just pray that it is impactful and it's something that they can take away and apply uh, to their lives um, tonight. So thank you, God, for all that you have done, all that you are. And I just pray for the rest of our night tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be starting in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. We're going to take it kind of like chunk by chunk instead of reading the whole thing and then breaking it down. So there's verse by verse. We're going to break down James chapter 3. So starting, uh, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So, here in these first couple of verses in James chapter 3, uh, we immediately emphasized that there's a greater responsibility on teachers of God's Word. See, James give us, gives us this warning right at the beginning. He says, let not many of you become teachers. Let not many of you become teachers of God's Word. And uh, the, reason of, uh, the reason that this is, is that there's two things that come with becoming a teacher. Well, there's many things. But there's, there's two important things that come with uh, being a teacher in God's church. And uh, one of them is greater accountability. And there's also greater punishment. So these two things uh, weigh heavily on, the, on teaching God's word. There's a, a level of expectation that comes when you step up to the plate and you're willing to teach God's word. And this is kind of why um, we refer to ministry involvement um, or getting involved. We refer to it as, as, as a calling. You know, uh, we refer to it as your calling. You know, because if we were left to our own devices or maybe we we're just left with all the free time and we're like, well, I have, I have free time or a hobby. I'm just going to go be a pastor. Um, that's not really how it works. And, and, and we would probably say you'd be better served not behind the pulpit, not choosing God, uh, not preaching God's word, not teaching God's word. We refer to it as a calling because there is a responsibility that comes with delivering God's message. Luke uh, chapter 12, um, Jesus in this parable explains this to his disciples in a similar manner. 
Uh, starting in verse 47 in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So Jesus tells this parable of just differing expectations between those who, who hear and know the expectations of, of their master or of, or of God, and, and there's a different punishment for them. And he, and he tells this to his disciples to, to ready his disciples, the, the early church, the, the ones that were going to um, help start the church and spread the gospel um, to the ends of the globe. He does this um, to ready them, to know that much will be required of them in this service um, of God. And James calls for greater accountability because he says in verse 2, he says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. And see, these stumbles that we all struggle with, obviously there's probably stuff that comes to your head when you think of, like, well, what do I stumble with? But these stumbles become ever more detrimental to those in uh, church leadership. See, James would warn you as church leaders, as hearers of the word of God, to be wary of where you walk. Uh, specifically pertaining to the issue we're going to be getting into, which is, you know, the header is taming the tongue, so talking about words and speech and how we use those things. Specifically pertaining to this issue, this is going to be a stumbling block for many in positions of leadership. So before we get into more of James, I just want you to think about this question. And it's just, do you understand the responsibility you hold as leaders and receivers of God's word? Do you understand that responsibility? But let's read on. In James 3, uh, in verse 3, it says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We see here James is emphasizing the importance of the tongue the importance of speech, of our words. Um, he, he, he uses very relatable imagery here um, in order for us to, to grasp this concept of the importance of the tongue and what, what the weight is of our words. Um, hopefully you guys all know what a horse bit is, but it's just you know that small metal piece that goes into a horse's mouth and it, and it controls the horse's movement when you're steering. You know, So like cowboys or whoever's riding them can, can ride away on their horse, which like we're all used to that, but... I want to know, like, who was the first person to try that, you know, like, try to control a horse. Like, those things are massive, and I wouldn't be the first one to try it. But um, but anyway, it's like, it's just incredible that this small metal piece can control this giant animal, um, and then we can ride on them, and, and by other, other means, we wouldn't be able to. It's just, it's incredible that this small piece, and that's that's the important piece there. And then he also explains how the rudder in a massive ship, you know, like, ships thinking about, like, Pirates of the Caribbean-esque, 
pirate ships. Um, the small part called the rudder is what provides direction. It's how you steer the boat. It's important for the whole part. And James is using these examples to tell us that our tongues, our words, how we speak, need to be under the exact same control, the exact same expectations, because there are dangerous consequences if our tongue is not under control. Jesus echoes this in the book of Matthew uh, to even a stronger degree. In Matthew 15, uh, Jesus get in, gets into an argument with some of uh, the religious leaders of the time, some of the Pharisees and the scribes, about uh, Jewish tradition. They come up to him and they're like, well, why aren't your, why aren't your disciples washing their hands after they eat and stuff like that? Um, basically trying to challenge Jesus as, as, a, as a teacher and, and his followers that they're not following these laws. And so listen to Jesus' response here in verse 10 of Matthew 15. He says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person defiles a person. So then some of the disciples came up to Jesus and were like, hey, you kind of like kind of like ticked off and uh, offended some of the Pharisees. So like that was kind of what it was. And then Jesus kind of gives it back to him. He's like, well, God will have his way with them. And they're, they're blind and they're leading the blind into pits, he says. So he uses some pretty direct imagery throughout the coming verses. Um, and then Peter was like, well, we still didn't even really get what you were saying with the parable. So you want to like explain it again? Um, and it wasn't even that much of a parable, but Peter didn't get it. And so he asks him, and then Jesus responds again in verse 16, and he says, Are you still without understanding? So he's, yeah. Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So the question is, do you have control over your tongue? Are your words plagued by language that is not affirming the kingdom of God? If, if our mouths are the opening or, or the, um, the expression of our hearts, are you defiling yourself, as Jesus would put it? Are your words defiling yourself? If our, if our mouths are the opening to the heart, what is coming out of it? James in verse 2 of chapter 3, uh, talking about how we stumble over all these various things. And again, like we could think of all these things that we put on our head. Uh, but but he, what we want to know is that what we really struggle is, what we really struggle with is, is with our mouth. That's why James is talking about it. That's why Jesus also talks about it on a separate occasion. It's one of the most common and dangerous stumbling blocks that we face in any uh, part of our lives. And, and, and James could have talked about other stumbling blocks, but he chose the mouth because he understands how influential it is for yourself and for others. And I know, I know there's many in this room, and including myself, who when we hear things about, you know, like the mouth and, and speech and, and words, you know, we're probably thinking to ourselves like, well, you know, it's just words, or um, you know, I, I didn't mean what I said when I said that, or you took me out of context, or um, you know, it's just it's just words. And, you know, what's the problem with words, Josh? 
But Jesus said what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So there's, there's no disconnect there. So do you have control of the horse? Or the rudder of the ship? Or in this case, do you have control of your mouth? Let's read on. James 3, 5-6 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The, the tongue is a destructive fire set by hell with the goal to cause strife, disunity, and chaos among members of the body or members of the church. You see, an, an uncontrolled tongue can destroy groups of individuals if not careful. It will set them against one another. We need to be extra careful with our words in this context of the church. So, so we need to control our tongues for our own sake and our own stumbling blocks as leaders possibly in the church or leaders in whatever sphere of influence you're in. We need to control that as our own stumbling block, but we also need to control our tongues for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church, for others. To this point, we need to avoid gossip. See, gossip, it's, it's the killer of ministry. Proverbs 16.28 says this, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So on the other end, our word should be to build others up. It should be to give grace to those who hear. I mean, James, James was putting down imagery that our words can burn down an entire forest if we're not careful. The destructive power of our words, of gossip, is limitless. And, and we all often hear this phrase, you know, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but word, your words can never hurt me or whatever. It's just simply not true. Our words have an impact and they have a danger to them and they can be pointed at others in the church body. Are you wary of this? Do you understand this? Are you careful of this and how you speak to others? How you speak about others when they're not there? We are called to surrender our mouths and what we say to God. Because again, it's not only to the benefit of our own, our own lives and our own stumbling blocks, but it's to the benefit of the whole body of believers. Reading on James verse uh, 7, says, for every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We as human beings have many things that we like to be in control of. You know, we, we, love, we love being in control of our own lives. At least we believe that we're in control. You know, we'd like to be in control of our schedule. We'd like to be in control of 
our friends and, and who, who we're going to hang out with, who our friends are. Maybe it's our, maybe it's our future. We'd like to be in control of our future. You know, I, I got to get this job and go here and get this grade and jump there. We like to be in so much control of all of these things. And even through that, we kind of lose sight of something that the Bible says is so important to be in control of and to be watchful of. And it's taming the tongue, which it says can't be tamed. It kind of goes right under our radar. It says no man can tame the tongue. However, as Jesus, as James goes on to say in the rest of the chapter, at the end of the chapter in verse 10, he says, this should not be so. So we're not just supposed to leave it. No man can tame the tongue. There's not, there's another end of this. So why? Why attempt to tame the tongue? Why attempt to tame the tongue? Why attempt to give the tongue to God? Well, there's a third reason on top of a stumbling block for your, for your own person, on top of it hurting others in the church and hurting others in your close circle. Um, but finally, I think probably most importantly, without taming the tongue, it can diminish the legitimacy of gospel to others. I'm going to say it again. If you don't tame your tongue, it can diminish the legitimacy of the gospel message to others. And again, perhaps the most important reason of all. In verse 9, in James, it says, with it, with it being the tongue, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth uh, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. At this heart of this last passage that we read, we see a warning against hypocrisy. There's no easier way for unbelievers, the lost, to discredit the legitimacy of the gospel than to point out the words spoken by those claiming to be saved by it. There's no easier way for people to discredit God's word, to discredit Christianity as a whole, if they just point at what believers are saying or people that claim to be, and they're saying, well, they don't even believe it. With our hypocritical mouths, we can bless God and curse those made in his image. Just indirectly cursing God himself. It's, it's, it's insanity. And James has been urging us to clean up our act since the very beginning of the book of James. James, uh, in James 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless person's religion is worthless. Is your message worthless because of what you say? Could someone say, well, well, they talk about Jesus when, you know, they're at church or, um, you know, sometimes when they're outside of it, they're around the right friends, but um, they're a completely different person when they're with me. These things ought not to be so, as James says. If we are to lead others to the holy and precious, precious, precious 
message that is the gospel of Jesus, we cannot live in hypocrisy with our words. We cannot do it. Are you representing Jesus with how you speak? Or are you both fresh and salt water? It's a little bit of both in there. We are called to give our tongues to God. And, and hear me on this point viewpoint. You may lose some personal expression along the way. Because you might be saying, well, Josh, if I, if I, if I stop saying, if I stop talking like this or, or saying this like this or, or if I stop saying jokes like this, I'm going to lose a part of what makes me, me. I'm going to lose a part of myself if I censor myself. The reality is, as Christians, we willingly give up some of our freedom and unique expression for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. We don't want to end up becoming more like me. We want to be image bearers of Christ. You don't want to have followers or friends or a group of people that are following you because you're unapologetically you. No, that's stupid. We are to become the embodiment of Christ in thought, in action, and in speech. All aspects of our life should be reflective of Jesus. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24 says this, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So again, put on the new self, the new self that's after God's own likeness, so that even the most difficult thing to tame is given to God, and it reflects the glory of the Father. So even your speech reflects God. We're going to finish James chapter 3 here, reading this last passage, starting in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him, uh, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here in this last passage that we just read, James is connecting two themes together. Um, with the with the those in teaching positions of God's word that we first addressed, he's connecting two themes. Uh, first, we discussed that those in positions of authority over God's word, those in spheres of influence where you're teaching God's word, they are to be held accountable according to their speech. And now, in this last one, talking about wisdom, they're now held accountable according to their works. He's urging those with wisdom in verse 13 to show your works in meekness of wisdom. 
it's a good thing to show genuine evidence of uh, life-changing faith here. He's showing those who have genuine wisdom, show it in meekness of wisdom. See, true wisdom is not shown in a boastful manner, but rather through meekness slash humility. James is reiterating throughout the book that these spiritual qualities should be evidenced in your life. Be not merely hearers, but doers of the word. We learn about that. About taking wisdom and applying it. About controlling your tongue. Every aspect, these spiritual qualities should be evidenced in our lives. Now he says in verse 14 that a fake wisdom can be displayed for selfish ambition. And he goes as far as to say that this is demonic. True wisdom that comes from above is pure. And these things are evidenced by how you live, the way you're on one end or the other end. See, the heart of, of James chapter 3 can be seen as this push for an honest analysis, analysis that we take of where we are as believers or those who claim to be believers, where we're at when it comes to our speech and behavior. James chapter 3 is an analysis of where we're at in speech and behavior. Speech and behavior are two things that can either amplify God or amplify ourselves and the flesh, and there's no in-between. And if you were honest with yourself, where would you assess yourself? Could you say that your speech is under control? Or do you feel like it's a constant stumbling block that hurts you and your ministry and your leadership, and it also hurts others, either at the church or any other close circle that you have? Is your speech under control? If you were to assess, is your speech hypocritical? Does it seem to belittle the impact that the gospel will have to those who need it? And finally, are you wise in action? Or are you living for self-glorification? If you listen to these questions and you believed you're struggling with any one of the above, either speech or um, having wisdom and practice, if you're struggling with any of these things, I, I just want to leave you with some encouragement as we get ready to close. And the truth is, is that no amount of work that you put into your speech, conduct, is going to change your spiritual standing before God. See, we don't look at these, these evidences of faith, like our speech and conduct, to say that we just need, you know, we just need to work harder. You know, if I just worked harder, I could fix my speech. If I just worked harder, I could be more wise. No, we, we, we analyze these things and we look at our shortcomings to say, by the grace of God, we can say this, but we say this to say we need Jesus more. And it's only through the transformative act of the Spirit, the only through the transformative act of Jesus, that our speech and conduct can actually be changed in a meaningful way that we can apply for our lives forever and reach others. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come.
the answer to this question and this self-analysis of where you're at with the tongue, or where you're at with works, or anything else that we've gone over through James is the answer is and always will be Jesus. It starts from your inward relationship, your inward recognition of where you're at with Jesus, and it becomes an outward expression through your speech and action. So that is my prayer tonight, that we understand this and we, and we strive after Jesus, we chase after Jesus because we want to be reflective of his heart. We want our speech to sound like Jesus. We want our thoughts to be things that Jesus would think. And we want our actions to mirror how Jesus would act if he was on earth. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get in some worship. Heavenly Father God, thank you just for your word, God. I pray that we have a desire to pursue you, God, in a deeper and more meaningful way. God, I know that when we talk about change or, or behavior modification, our, our first impulse may be to look at ourselves. Maybe if I, if I cut out this speech or I stop saying that or if I start doing this, then maybe I'll become closer to God or maybe I'll have more impact for the kingdom. And we start looking at ourselves. And God, you would have it that we look toward you because that is the only place genuine change happens. And God, I pray that we come before you humbly asking for you to change us so that we're modeled not after ourselves, not so we're unapologetically us, but that we're unapologetically Jesus followers and we're unapologetically reflective of who you are, God. And so people that come in contact with us, they don't necessarily just see us, but they see you, God, just by passing by. That is the mission, that is the heart we have. That is our heart's desire, Jesus. to be more reflective of who you are in thought, speech, and action. I pray these things in your Holy Son's precious name. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to a Viewpoint sermon on the Viewpoint Podcast Network. If you are interested in hearing more or getting connected to our ministry, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and to follow our Instagram over at Viewpoint underscore VVBC. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.